am part of a lost generation and I refuse to believe that I can change the world. I realize this may be a shock, but happiness comes from within is a lie, and money will make me happy. So in 30 years, I will tell my children they are not the most important thing in my life. My employer will know that I have my priorities straight because work is more important than family. I tell you this, once upon a time, families stayed together. But this will not be true in my era. This is a quick fix society. Experts tell me 30 years from now, I will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my divorce. I do not concede that I will live in a country of my own making. In the future, environmental destruction will be the norm. No longer can it be said that my peers and I care about this earth. It will be evident that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It is foolish to presume that there is hope. And all of this will come true unless we choose to reverse it. There is hope. It is foolish to presume that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It will be evident that my peers and I care about this earth. No longer can it be said that environmental destruction will be the norm. In the future, I will live in a country of my own making. I do not concede that 30 years from now, I will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my divorce. Experts tell me this is a quick fix society, but this will not be true in my era. Family stayed together once upon a time. I tell you this, family is more important than work. I have my priorities straight because my employer will know that they are not the most important thing in my life. So in 30 years, I will tell my children, money will make me happy is a lie, and true happiness comes from within. I realize this may be a shock, but I can change the world, and I refuse to believe that I am part of a lost generation. Come on. Right. If that doesn't get you fired up and give you goosebumps this morning, you need to check your pulse, man. I refuse to believe that I am part of a lost generation. That is why I give my life to this stuff. That is why I spend my evenings with young people, because I refuse to believe that I am part of a lost generation. I refuse to believe, young people, that you cannot change the world. Young people, you can change the world. Young people, you are not part of a lost generation. I believe that God has got a plan for you. I believe that God has got a plan for your life and your friends' life that, lives that aren't here this morning. I believe that I am part of a generation that can see this world transformed. I believe that Jesus Christ and the church is the solution and the answer and the hope for our nation. Are you with me this morning, church? Do you know, when I hear that poem, I can't sit still. I think you might have noticed that already. Um, you know, when we hear the stories of the guys that have shared their story, man, we are not part of a lost generation, are we? You know, that phrase lost generation was first coined at the at the end of the first world war and it was it was talked about about the generation of teenagers and young adults that went to war and came back they came back unskilled they were unable to work they were unmotivated and and society wrote them off a little bit and would often say you know you can't fix a car as quick as i can you're part of a lost generation you lot are you're a lost generation and society wrote them off because the war robbed them of their hope. And you know, when I meet with young people, when, when I chat to some young people on Friday nights, when, I, when I've worked with young people for, for 10 years now, I've met so many young people that I thought, man, you have been robbed of hope. When I used to work in prison, I would chat with lads and you know, I would work with young offenders, so it was kind of 15 to 21 years old. And I would hear their stories and they would tell me some of the awful things that had gone on in their life. And often I would say, man, if that had happened to me, I would probably be in prison too. Like we, have a, we have generations of young people who are robbed of hope. 
two things that break my heart in youth work is bullying and self-harm. Why? Because they rob young people of hope. And, you know, I firmly believe that there is hope. You know, I love organizations like Phase Trust who are based in the building and we work very, very closely. And on Friday, they had a lunch in this, in this room and, and it was incredible to see and hear about all the, all the stuff that they're doing, the programs they've got in place to work with young people on the, on the margins of society, to work with young people who are frightened to leave their home. Absolutely incredible work that Phase Trust does. And I love their strapline, standing with and for young people. That's what it's about. That's a, that's a mantra for the church. That's a mantra for, for what we do in, in youth and kids. We want to stand with and for young people. And, you know, we have got some incredible youth workers. We've got some incredible children's workers. We've got some great programs that we deliver. But I tell you, the best thing that we can offer our children and young people is the Christ in us. If you're a Christian this morning... You have got Christ in you, and that is the best thing that you can offer anybody around you. You know, Phase Trust is fantastic and do some of the best programs that I've seen. But the best thing about Phase Trust is the Christ in them. That's what sets them apart. That's what sets us apart. And, you know, I totally believe that Jesus is the hope provider. Jesus is the hope and the answer for our nation, not just our children and young people, but our nation as a whole. And I want to look at something that is um, from the Bible, a little story from the Bible. And it's actually a little bit of a hopeless situation. It's in Ezekiel 37, and it'll come up on the screen, so don't panic if you haven't got a Bible with you. But God leads this guy called Ezekiel to a hopeless place. He leads him to a valley of dry bones where there's death, where there's decay, where there is no hope, and it just would look horrendous. And God leads them there, and there's an amazing thing that happens. We're going to pick it up in verse 4 of chapter 37. It's going to come on the screens as I speak it. You ready? Then he said to me, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattle and sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. When I read the Bible, I love to imagine what it was like to be there, like what it, what it felt like, what the weather was like, what it smelled like. I can imagine at the start of that story, it was, it was probably cloudy, maybe even raining. They, they like to do that in films, don't they? It's always a sad point coming when it's raining, you know someone's going to die. And I, I love thinking that. And imagine being Ezekiel as you're speaking this and as you're praying and as you're talking to God and suddenly these bones start shaking and moving together. Like, 
It's starting to annoy me a little bit when you, when you see sporting events and concerts and big events on the TV and no one's watching it live. Everyone's watching it through their phone and everyone's recording it and taking pictures rather than living in the moment. I do it loads as well, but it's starting to get on my nerves a little bit. And I think that's a moment, Ezekiel, that's a moment to pull out your phone and record it. Like, that's a moment to go, hang on a minute, no one's going to believe me here. Like, when I go home to my family and friends and say, I've just stood in the Valley of Dry Bones and they all came to life and became a vast army. No one's going to believe him. Like, it is an incredible story. And do you know what? Seeing young people see their lives transformed from hopelessness to hope, being part of, of uh, young people's journeys like Liv and Tom who shared who a year ago weren't Christians and didn't know Jesus. Man, that's as good as, as Ezekiel for me. Like seeing young people's lives transform, seeing children begin to understand that there is a God that loves for them and cares for them and has a plan for their life. Man, that's dry bones coming to life. And I totally believe that we as a church can see the dry bones of our town come to life. You know, please refuse to be part of a lost generation. I'm not just talking about children and young people. I refuse to believe that I am part of a lost generation. Well, however old you are, refuse to believe that you are part of a lost generation. Please don't give up on your family and friends that don't yet know Jesus. Please do not give up on your work colleagues that you're inviting to church. Please do not give up on people that do not know Jesus. Do not give up on the elderly of our community. Do not give up on those estates where even the police are scared to go. Man, we cannot believe that we are part of a lost generation because we believe in a God that provides hope. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I want to tell you that there is hope for you. You know, all we are is a bunch of hopeless people that found hope in Jesus. I want to tell you this morning, if you don't yet know Jesus, if you're facing a hopeless circumstance, you can find hope this morning. I know loads of young people that have. I know I have. Man, there is nothing better than finding hope in Jesus Christ. You know, we are 35 years old. I say we, I'm only 29, but we as a church are 35 years old. And we celebrated that in October. And one of the main themes over the weekend was based around a tweet that I found on Twitter, funnily enough. And um, there was an accident in the town, and I was trying to be a nosy, basically. I was trying to find out what was going on. Um, so I searched Hales Owen on Twitter, and I found this tweet that said, Hales Owen is the place where dreams come to die. And I screenshotted it, and it just stuck with me, and I shared it with the rest of the team. And that formed a kind of theme for, for the weekend. Because, you know, we as a church, we don't believe that, that Hells Owen is a place where dreams come to die. We refuse to accept that. We want this town and, our, and our, our friends and our family and our community to be a place where dreams come to fly. So you will remember, if you were with us, if not, we... Um, we wrote on little pieces of paper, my dream for, and then dot, dot, dot. And then we filled in our dream for our town. And we attached them to a whole load of helium balloons and set them off from the car park on Birmingham Street. And it was incredible as we spoke to the dry bones of our town, where people say that this is a dry and desolate place. You know, years ago, I remember, um, uh, confession time, I remember driving away from Hell's Home before I lived here and before I was part of this church, thinking, man, why would anybody ever want to live there? <laughs> it's dangerous what you say, isn't it? But you know, I've totally got a heart to see this community transformed. I'm not accepting that Hell's Owen is a place where dreams come to die. We prophesied and we spoke over our town and said, God, we want to see hope come alive in our town.
Um, you know, I um, absolutely love youth work. And one of the things I love almost as much as I love youth work and God is football. And uh, I support the world's greatest ever team, Liverpool. And um, I thought I might get a cheer from Seb. <laughs> um, we, we have lost our greatest ever player, essentially. Uh, Steven Gerrard has gone to another club. He served as part of the team for 17 years. And in uh, April, May time, there was loads of documentaries about his career um, and him as a man and all this kind of stuff. And I watched them all because I'm sad. And um, one of the ones that, that was really interesting was his three coaches from when he was in the youth setup. He came into the... Uh, Liverpool Academy at the age of seven or eight. And these guys had coached him right from the age of seven or eight up until him joining the first team. And it was three guys, Dave Shannon, Huey McCauley and Steve Highway. Now, some of you who are a little bit older football fans might recognise the name Steve Highway. He was a winger in the 70s. He won league championships. He won European Cups, FA Cups. He was a very successful player. In fact, the Liverpool fans still sing about him to this day. And he said something really interesting about Steven Gerrard. He said, one of the things that I love is when I watch Steven Gerrard, I feel more pride and more um, kind of joy in his achievements than I do about my own. Watching Steven Gerrard grow and develop to become one of the world's greatest footballers and win all the things that he did gave him more pride than him winning the stuff himself. And I thought, I get that. When I see young people get it, when I see young people text me and say, and say can you pray for my friends because they're, they're going through a tough time? Or can you look out for my friend this weekend? I'm bringing them to church. When young people get it, when kids get who God is and find hope from a hopeless place, I think, man, I love that. That is way more successful than anything I could ever do with my life. And, you know, our dream and our, our hope for, for our children and young people as they go on to do way more than we could ever ask or imagine. You know, 30, Leon mentioned 30 years ago there was 150 people in our church. I would love that in 30 years' time these children and young people are part of a church that is much bigger and doing way more in the community than we are doing now. That's what we want to see. We want to see hope come to the hopeless. And, you know... I love what Tom said. Tom said something about, I want to encourage you to join a life group. You know, investing in others is a part of what being, uh, is a, is what the, being a part of the church is about. It's about investing in others. It's about sharing life and bringing people along. So whether you're 13, 33, or 83, your job, your calling, if you call yourself a Christian, your job is to be a hope provider. And you can be a hope provider as part of your life group. If you're not in a life group, get into one. They're brilliant. But also you can be a hope provider to your family, to your friends, to your neighbours, to your work colleagues. And I'm not talking about, you know, you become this superhero and you walk into work and you're like, hello, I am a hope man. And you go around putting little boxes of hope on people's desk. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, actually, being, being a carrier of hope is about becoming a hummingbird. Now, hummingbirds and vultures are very similar, but very, very different at the same time. A vulture flies over a desert, and it looks for death. It looks for decay. It looks for, for death where it, can, where it can get food. A hummingbird flies over the desert and looks for life. And being a carrier of hope is about looking into situations, circumstances, relationship, and people, 
and looking for life, looking for hope and being that carrier of hope. That's what I believe we're called to be as a church, carriers of hope. Situations and people that I meet, I want to be a carrier of hope. So what I'd love to do is, as I finish this, pray for us as a, as a community and as a church. And, you know, if, if you're a guest here, join in. You'd, I'm sure you'd want to be a carrier of hope as well. So just close your eyes with me and let's, let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to be carriers of hope. God, we refuse to believe that we are part of a lost generation. God, we're not giving up on kids. We're not giving up on young people. God, we're not giving up on our friends that don't know you. God, we're not giving up on our work colleagues. God, we're not giving up on our neighborhoods. We're not giving up on the elderly. God, we refuse to believe that we are part of a lost generation. So God, would you make us carriers of your hope? Lord, I pray that we would become like hummingbirds where we would look for life, God. We would look for light, God. We would look for the hope in circumstances in people's lives, God. God, I pray for our children and our young people that where their schools feel like they are valleys of dry bones. God, I pray that you would breathe your breath of life through the hallways of those schools. God, would our children and young people be carriers of hope into the classrooms? Oh, God, we pray that the teachers will come to know you. God, we pray for the bullies that they will come to know you. God, we pray for the friends that we sit next to in maths or English. God, we pray that they will come to know you. God, I pray right now that you would would appoint young people and children to be carriers of hope wherever they go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.